0: Sorry, one more time for the microphone. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? (coughs) Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite When he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, giving them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever you, whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, "The one who showed him mercy." Jesus said, "Go and do likewise." The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. When uh, I was in Detroit last summer with Christian, and I'd be walking around downtown, I noticed that I couldn't go five feet without hearing about the charity of a man named Dan Gilbert. His name was on everyone's lips. He gave money so that the tour that I took through downtown was possible, and the guides spoke highly of him. He helped to build a beautiful urban garden, an oasis of lush fruits and vegetables amidst the motor city's vast spaces of abandoned concrete. Gilbert's company, Quicken Loans, moved their headquarters to Detroit in 2010, bringing in over 1,000 jobs to an economically starved city. Sounds like a really good guy, right? Well, all the charity in the world cannot make up for the systemic benefits that Dan Gilbert receives. He has become a multimillionaire off the sweat and pain of many whom he has defrauded. Quicken Loans, like many big-time loan companies, is a vulture of predatory lending. In one particularly egregious case, an impoverished West Virginia family won a 3 million dollar settlement against Quicken because the loan company failed to disclose a required balloon payment of $100,000. The family, of course, had no means to pay this ridiculous fee, and when they didn't, the bank foreclosed on their house. This is but one example of the ways that Gilbert and his company have made money off of poor people. A whole litany of Quicken's misdeeds to its loan recipients and employees would be enough to fill multiple sermons. Now, charity is a good thing. I don't want to be misunderstood. We have a fundamental problem when we believe that charity can help us overcome a bad system. I think it's great that Under Armour wants to donate uniforms to police officers, firefighters, and scholastic athletic programs. I think it's heinous that they want to build here on such a large subsidy from a city that is nearly broke. Charity is a Band-Aid. A Band-Aid helps small cuts, and it does. It makes a difference. Preventing infection is a really good thing. But it will not cure the biggest illnesses or what causes them. If we consider its best use, charity can be positive. But if we begin to believe that charity exculpates us or anyone else from the problems of the world, we have a fundamental issue. Charity helps individuals. Charity does not solve systems. We, <clears throat> excuse me. We've had a rough na- we, excuse me. we've had a rough week as a nation. Let me rephrase that. We've had a rough few centuries as a nation we've never known what to do about race. Even now, in 2016, with a black person as president, and non-white people having unprecedented access to top leadership positions in the country, we have never known what to do about race. Ever since we took people from their native land on a boat, dragged them to our country, and put them to work, we have not had an answer. And our instinct every time that this problem becomes our problem is to resort to either violence or charity. Dan Gilbert gets applause and not scorn for doing such nice things in public. Likewise with so many other millionaire and billionaire philanthropists. And even us, it works on our level too. I remember last year, after April, after all the events in this city, Uh, one of our fellow churches got a massive donation of clothes. Clothes. As if the problem with our city was a climate one and not an issue of social illness. Clothes. Thousands of clothes. They had nothing, no idea what to do with them or where to put them. They didn't need them. Yet we act charitably because we don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to talk about this problem. I don't like preaching these sermons. I don't like writing about this issue. I don't even like the in-between time, the time when there is no highly publicized incident of racism where I preach on racial injustice anyway. And I've screwed this up so many times. And I'm probably going to screw it up again, but I don't know what else to do. I just know that I'm not okay with charity. I'm not okay with keeping things copacetic. I'm not okay with this mentality that God loves us all, and even though bad things happen, they will all work out in the end. People are dying. And while I believe in the life to come, I also think the life right now is really, really important. On the surface, the Good Samaritan story seems like an act of charity. We are all somewhat familiar with it, Man sees man lying in the street, man helps man get well, Jesus gives the moral stamp of approval. That's simple, right? A lesson for all of us. But it's more than that. Because as we've often talked about with Jesus, you cannot know him without knowing the structure and the society that made him. Let's begin with first things. The Good Samaritan is not good. He does a very good thing in this parable, but Jesus never refers to him as good. That's something that we've attached. In fact, given the angst between Jews and Samaritans, it would have been highly unlikely for Jesus to refer to the Samaritan as good. It is interesting, therefore, that Jesus picks a Samaritan for this example. But I think it's intentional he is saying something about the power structure of that day that even the person regarded as the least of these, the worst of society, the enemy, can make a difference. And then consider why Jesus tells the Good Samaritan parable. He has just been asked the question, who is my neighbor? And he gives a very long-winded response that is not charity. Your neighbor is not the person next door to you. Your neighbor is not even the person in this room. Your neighbor, the one you are called to love as yourself, is the person in need. The one who lays bleeding in the streets. That person doesn't need charity. That person doesn't need your thoughts and prayers. That person needs help. Serious help. And then we must know what put that person on the street in the first place we are always encouraged not to look at parables in an obvious way, rather considering ourselves the roles in the roles of all the characters. I'm sure if you've ever been to church before and heard the Good Samaritan text, you might have heard a sermon preached like, you should be the Samaritan and not the Levite, you should be the person who does good and not very good. I probably preached that sermon three years ago when this text last came up. But consider it today, Can you really imagine yourself being the man on the street? Can you imagine laying there bleeding half to death, unconscious, waiting for anyone to help you, even if it is your worst enemy? Considering that is what makes it so hard to understand racism in the United States. Because most of us in this room cannot understand what it means to be black. Most of us look at the stories of Philandro Castile and think about being in the same situation, but we can't. I can't. I was stopped for speeding once in my life. And the officer didn't even want to look at my license. He just told me not to do it again and sent me on my way. Philandro Castile was pulled over because his tail light didn't work. I was doing 65 and a freaking 40. You're gonna tell me who was more dangerous in that moment? Police have a dangerous job as we were reminded with the horror show in Dallas on Friday night. But what compels so many people to shoot unarmed black people or Hispanic and Latino people or native people? And the only answers we offer are charity and violence. I don't know what it's like to be the man bleeding on the side of the road. Frankly, I don't even really know what it's like to be the good Samaritan. If I'm being honest, I'd rather not deal with it. I'd rather donate some money to a fund that helps people who get robbed and beaten on the side of the road. And I offer some thoughts and prayers. I'd like to be the Levite. I don't want to deal with this. But Jesus forces us to. Here is your neighbor. Here they are. And they are hurting and in pain. Are you willing to take just that first step towards their body? And admit that there's a problem. And then maybe just take another step and go a little further. In his last message that he ever gave in his life, Dr. Martin Luther King preached on the Good Samaritan story. He was in Memphis to support garbage workers who were striking because they were paid such a low wage to do a dangerous job. One of them had died, which led to the strike. And he said these words about the parable. These are his words. It's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking. And he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, lure them for a quick and easy seizure, and take their money. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, What will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you tonight. Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to my job? Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to all the hours that I usually spend in my office every day and every week as a pastor. The question is not if I stop to help help this man, what will happen to me? The question is if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question. Let us rise up tonight with a great readiness let us stand with a greater determination, and let us move on in these powerful days, these days of challenge, to make America what it ought to be. We have an opportunity to make America a better nation. Now, without having seen it, I've become a big fan of the musical Hamilton. Stan and I watch clips with Kewen, and they're fun, and they're entertaining, and also enlightening. And I really like this exchange that George Washington's character has with Alexander Hamilton before the decisive battle of Yorktown. It's a brief song called History Has Its Eyes on You. And I won't sing it. You should consider that an act of sweet charity. But I want to quote these lyrics because they make me think of Salem in this time. Let me tell you what I would wish I'd known when I was a young man and dreamed of glory. You have no control who lives, who dies, who tells your story. I know that we can win. I know that greatness lies in you. But remember from here on in, history has its eyes on you. Indeed, history has its eyes on us. What times we live in. Studying about it in seminary, I never dreamed that I would have been in the middle of some new civil rights movement. But here we are. History has its eyes on us. And Jesus is pointing fervently to who our neighbor is. Whatever the future holds for Salem from an attendance perspective, we can be defined as a congregation by shedding power and privilege, standing with the oppressed, And following Jesus' call to love our neighbor. It's kind of sad that doing what Jesus commands us to do is considered revolutionary and counterproductive, but it beats the hell, literally the hell, out of charity. We don't worship a charitable God, we worship a just God. God is not charitable with your salvation, and thus you shall not resort solely to charity in your actions. Your neighbor is bleeding. What are you doing? I believe in you. God believes in you. So let us march together to love our neighbor. Amen.